clap sync. Cool beans. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Kevin Zagura and this is my podcast. Today, I as I'm recording this, I really like I wanted to talk about so many different things, but I couldn't come to a conclusion. <laughs> and so instead I'm kind of taking bits and pieces out of all of them and putting them together. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to read uh, a few a handful select chapters of the Bible and it's going to be awesome. But before we get into it, let me set this up for why I picked these chapters and like what I kind of hope for you to get out of this and what I've gotten out of this through doing this exercise. Um, so th- big picture of what is the Bible. There's many different ways of, to answer this, right? There's many different threads that we could follow through this. But the one that I want to focus on here today is, is that the Bible is Jewish meditation literature. Ancient Jewish meditation literature, for that matter. <laughs> and so you can read Psalm 1, which we're not... Well, maybe I can read it right now. But Psalm 1, it kind of describes like the, like the ideal reader of this book. It's someone who meditates on it day and night. And through this meditation, through reading it over and over, you become like a tree of life. And like you start to be shaped into this person who's just like awesome. <laughs> you, you, like it begins to shape you in the way that you view the world. And it's it's profound. And like truly, that's just what it's done for me. Like I've come to understand this book, like the Bible as a whole, and see how it interacts with itself and how it understands itself and how it's like it's written and how it's designed. And it is remarkable and it has truly shaped the way that i view the world and see people and like what we are as humans and so the chapters that i've chosen today are kind of highlighting these things as well um and so like like again it's meditation literature so okay like you read it and you read it and you read it again right it's it's literally like like when you pick up a book when you're younger and you read it and you read it again when you're older you read the same book twice, but like you get different things out of it. Or same thing with watching a movie. You watch a movie, like a Pixar movie when you're younger and a Pixar movie when you're older, it hits different, you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, I never noticed that. That's exactly what the Bible is. That's how it's designed on purpose, but like to the max. <laughs> like you're seriously, it's like on steroids. <laughs> the, the amount, like it's so dense, even though like they leave out so many details, they do that on purpose so that you have to read it and reread it again. And then through this repetition that they have, like you start to connect these dots and so a helpful analogy that i've come to to use for this is hyperlinking the biblical authors like it's designed this way on purpose they've hyperlinked different parts of this whole of the whole storyline of the whole book um in the same way like you're on wikipedia and you have like the blue letters you know and it takes you to another page that takes you to another page and like like you start going down the rabbit hole and you're just like learning a whole bunch of things like that's that's how they the biblical authors do this but they do this by using repeated words and key themes and ideas and they like recycle the these vocabulary and these images and that's how they connect these points in the story together um in the same way that uh if you've seen Jura- the jurassic park movies you know how in the first movie the the bad guy the main bad guy he dies um at the end of the first movie um by like s- sliding like he like rolls down the hill right and he drops his little um shaving cream can you know what i'm talking about it's like sh- like shaving cream he drops it and it rolls and then he dies to that animal that like spews poison in his face, right? And then at the very on the final movie out of all six movies, you know, that's exactly the same way that the bad guy dies in the in the final final movie. He dies the exact same way. He drops the same shaving can, right? And he gets the same poison from the same dinosaur and he dies that way. Um these two are connected. 
clearly, obviously, right? But they're doing that in terms of, of the movie um, and that narrative. The biblical authors are doing this on every level, on every page, um, by using keywords and repeated themes. They're showing you the exact same shot and this exact same like scenario, and they're doing it over and over again. And that's how they're connecting these ideas. And so these, these chapters that I've chosen to read today, we're going to read Genesis 1, uh, Psalms chapter 8, and Proverbs chapter 8. These are all hyperlinked to each other, and they're all um, truly amazing in and of themselves. Just like by themselves, they're so awesome. <laughs> um, but as we're going to see, like they're all like there's similar vocabulary, and they're clearly like reflections on each other. Um, actually, Proverbs, the passages that we're going to read from Proverbs and Psalms are hyperlinked. Are Reflect poetic reflections on the first thing that we're going to read, which is Genesis chapter one, the creation narrative. And um, it's just seriously awesome. And I think that's enough of me talking. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read this. Let's get into it. Genesis chapter one, the beginning of the Bible, literally first page. It goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth that bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. So the earth brought forth vegetation, and plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it after their kind. And God saw that it was good. So there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate them th and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monster, and every living creature that moves with, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds fly on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts on the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over the and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding, f- yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be for food to you, and to the beasts of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to, and to everything that moves on the, on the earth with, which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth of the day. Thus the heavens and the earth were created, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God cr- by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. God, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. That is Genesis chapter 1, and the first part of chapter 2. Um, now, a few things before I move on to Psalms and Proverbs. Um, we're going to start with Proverbs chapter 8. But... um. Like, this story that we just read, it's not meant... Like, what is it for? Again, it's the beginning of a story. And what do stories do? Stories, they shape the way in which we view the world. Who we are, what we're for. What is our purpose here? Like, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> like, it's asking, it's exploring the big questions of life. Literally, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> That's what Genesis chapter 1 is exploring. But it does it in an ancient Jewish context. And so it's going to be different. And, like, you may have seen or heard some things, and you're like, That's not right (laughs) you're like you're like the world's not flat you know but like they clearly thought it was you know again it's not trying to explore questions of of how of how the world came to be it's exploring questions of why the world came to be and so with that said let's go ahead and read proverbs chapter eight literally my favorite chapter of the book of proverbs i'm just throwing it out there (laughs) here it goes Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. And she says, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For from my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness, and there is nothing crooked or perverse in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice is gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge in discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding, power is mine. You see, by me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, and all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me. 
enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed on a circle the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master worksman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. All those who hate me love death. Proverbs chapter 8. Bro. What a great freaking chapter. I literally love that chapter. My favorite line, my favorite line. We're going to move on to Psalm chapter 8. But like my favorite line is, uh, 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 or is it, uh, 20 something. Uh, here we go. 29. When he set for the sea its boundaries so that the water would not transgress his command. Mm, mm, somebody. <laughs> Come on now. Dude, just like, a, like, just like think about that reflect on that poetically like forces of death and chaos you stop here <laughs> dude come on are you kidding because again like in the biblical narrative like water is not a good thing uh, because this the story is being told from the perspective of humans you know and like what is good for humans ocean like a flood for example is not great for humans you know but like if you're a fish you're like eh more room for me to explore, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so the story the story of Genesis 1 is told from the perspective of, of humans. And so it says these things are good, right? At the end of the day, God goes, this is great. Nice job. <laughs> and, but that's only because he has, like, the story is culminating with human beings and flourishing, right? And so, like, like, that's, that's where the story is heading. Um, like, like again, the desert. If if you're a reptile, you're like, eh, same to me. But like, if you're a human, desert, not really the place you want to go. <laughs> if you're a fish, a flood, a flooded plain, it's not too bad. But if you're a human, a flooded plain, that's not where you want to be, right? The f like, we don't belong on the ocean, even though like now we have cruises, this, that, and the other. Like, the ocean is not a place where human life is exactly designed to flourish. You know what I'm saying? And so, throughout the biblical narrative, the forces of water are like synonymous with chaos and not life <laughs> and death you know it's literally associated with death go see jonah um and so like for proverbs to reflect on the creation narrative and to say when he set for the sea its boundary that the water would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth 
Like, it's saying that God is even in control of the chaos, but it's doing this reflection through poetry. And you see how this is now meditation literature, because now we're connecting the dots, and you're like, oh, dude, that's cool. You see, like, I'm freaking out. Like, this is rad for me. <laughs> like, this is literally my favorite chapter of the book of Proverbs. Um, because it's just a poetic reflection on the creation account um, and how wisdom was there. And like, again, like that one right there, it's like chaos, death itself is still at God's command. <laughs> like that is at least the picture that is being painted here. Um, and that is freaking rad. I love Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs is awesome. <laughs> All right. This is Psalms chapter 8. Ooh, ah, I love this one. Psalms chapter 8. Um, and then for bonus, we might read Psalms chapter 1. <laughs> Psalms chapter 8. Here we go. Yahweh our Lord. Or you may have, O Lord our Lord, also in your translation. But Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the works of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you should care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God or the heavenly beings in some translations, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pass of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Mm. Some of that should have sounded familiar. Some of that should have sounded familiar. Hopefully you're freaking out. You're like, oh, we read that. Genesis 1. That's Genesis 1, dude. And I say exactly. <laughs> and I say that's exactly the point. Now you get it. So again, this is a poetic reflection on on Genesis one of what we read, um, but specifically what it means to be human. Like, what is man that, you know? It's like looking up at the stars and you're like, what? <laughs> and like you feel small and like that whole thing, you know? And like it's great. And you're like, and this person's doing this from a Jewish context, you know? Like, they're taking their beliefs for God. They they understand it. They're taking it for granted in ways that we might not. But he's saying, okay, God. Like, I, I just look around me, and I'm like, why do you even care about me, you know? Like, when I consider the heavens, the works of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? What is the son of man that you should care for him? And yet, you have made him a little lower than translational problems going on here. Not problems, but translational. There's different ways to translate this word. Um, but the word here is Elohim in Hebrew, because the Bible is written in Hebrew. Um and it's the word for lowercase g god, basically. It's like deity. Um, but he's reflecting here on on Genesis on Genesis one, which we read, which I'm going to connect for us again real quick. Um, specifically the creation of man. Because again, in it's exploring the questions of why, not how. And so we like to ask, okay, but how was the world made? And we take the six days of creation and we're like, oh, the world wasn't made in six days. This is ancient and stupid. And we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, no, like you're missing the point. You're missing the point. This is a profound reflection on what it means to be human. 
and this is reflect Psalm chapter eight is reflecting on Genesis one, talking about the image of God specifically, because you have the way in which they view the world is that like, you know, this is like not uncommon in ancient civilizations, especially like the stars and the sun and moon, like these were all deities, you know, the constellations, the stars and the sun, these were all deities. And like they ruled over the day and the night and different things, you know, and like you can think of the Romans, they had like the planets also ruled over things that got, they were named after the gods of war and love, this, that, and the other, you know? Like that's not uncommon. The biblical authors also had the same idea. However, like they're, like they have all the same vocabulary of their ancient neighbors because they had ancient neighbors. <laughs> so like that's just the way that they viewed the world in that time and place in, the, in history. Um, like everyone around them thought, that's just the way that they viewed the world. We no longer view the world in that way, but it, I think, again, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater if we do that. Um, but, like, let's keep the baby. Let's get rid of the bathwater. And so, <laughs> like, the biblical authors also viewed that these, that the sun, moon, and stars were also deities. However, the difference is they were not to worship the deities because these, the sun, moon, and stars, they only exist as a reflection of this god. They are not gods within themselves. They only exist as a reflection of Yahweh is the name that they had for him. Um, and so you see the difference. Every other culture, they worship the star, sun, moon, and stars. The Jewish people were not to do that because they only exist, again, as a reflection of, of Yahweh. And so you get this creation story, and you have this God on, I think it was day three, he creates the sun, or maybe day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars to rule over the heaven, to separate the light from the dark. He, he, he's created them to rule in the skies, as it were. And then later you get the creation of man. And, and the story, again, like we read, it goes, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So then, basically he did it. He did the thing that he was going to say he did. <laughs> it, it repeats itself. The The... Jewish literature is very repetitive, <laughs> at least the, in the Bible. Um, and so God blessed them, and he said to them, like after he made him, he said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over everything that moves on the earth. And so the way that the biblical authors, the way that the Bible presents the idea of the image of God is, again, in the same way that, that other ancient civilizations had the ideas of the sun, moon, and stars being deities, other ancient civilizations had the idea of the image of God. Like, this isn't just a Jewish thing, you know? <laughs> like, we're reading this Jewish literature. But, like, the Romans also had this, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. Like, everybody. <laughs> everybody had the idea of the image of God. Like, it's not unique. Same thing with the trees of life. This is found everywhere. The flood story is also found, like, everywhere. Like, these things are not unique to the Bible. However, what is unique is the way in which they talk about it and the way in which they kind of implement this into the way that they view the world. Because again, these stories shape the way in which we view the world. Like that's what stories do. And so the Bible is doing no, it's no exception. Um, but it's flipping these things on their head. And so the idea of the image of God, let's have, let's put it in some context. The context is how did the Egyptians view the idea of the image of God, the Babylonians, the Romans, um, the image of God was the term that, that's what the king was called. The image of God is what the king was called. And so Pharaoh, he was seen as the literal embodiment of the sun god Ra, <laughs> you know? Like, 
he is the god in the flesh. He is the supreme god in the flesh. And like that's why he's king. You know, it's the the divine right of kings. It's like I am king because God said so and I am even I'll do you one better. I am God. <laughs> Literally, I am God. That's the way the pharaohs saw it. That's the way the Babylonians for sure saw it. Uh, and many other, and like literally basically everyone else <laughs> for like most of human history. Uh, um, uh, I think Caesar was also called uh, the image of God, you know? Like these aren't unique ideas. However, the Bible comes in and it says it's not just the king. It is not the king himself who is called to rule. He says, let us make man. And what he means there is all of humanity, all of Adam, because Adam means man as in like mankind um, in Hebrew. Fun fact. Don't know if you knew that. But um, Adam, like literally, it, like I think of it as like Darth Vader, you know, it's like Darth Vader. He can be like, like a person, but then he's also like in the, in the narrative, he can be a person. But then his name also literally means like dark father <laughs> and what is his character it's dark father and so adam it's referring to like all of humanity but then he also shows up as a character right and so all of humanity represented as a man in the story you know <laughs> like that's that's what the biblical authors are doing it, they're kind of playing like <laughs> they're doing what darth vader did i guess i don't know you see what i'm saying um and so they say it's not just the king who is the image of god it's all of humanity it is all of adam Everyone is called to rule, not just the king. And so now all of a sudden you have this idea that's getting flipped on its head and it's kind of democratized a little bit, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's not just one guy. It's all of humanity that is that is called to participate in this human project. And so I'll quote to you C.S. Lewis. Um, the closest you'll get to the likeness of God is the person sitting next to you on the bus. Because it's not just the king who is the embodiment of God. It's just everyone. It's the person sitting next to you on the bus. It's the person, it's your coworker. It's, it's the person cutting you off in traffic too, <laughs> you know? Um, and so like this idea is the single most remarkable idea I've come across in ever <laughs> and will ever come across. I'll promise you that because it, this what this does is it makes human life inherently valuable all human life inherently valuable simply by fact of being human and like you don't get this from like as much as we're influenced by the romans like as much as we're influenced by them and like our and like democracy you know and like even our architecture like in, in dc everything like half the buildings are built based off of like roman architecture you know like as much as we get from them we did not get the idea that human life is inherently valuable from the romans and we didn't get it from uh i don't know the egyptians or the babylonians or the assyrians or or anyone else who has had influence in human history Genghis Khan, whoever, you know, any, any world power. We didn't get it from any of them. This idea that human life is inherently valuable simply because you are human and that we are all called to participate in the human project. This uniquely comes from the, from this, what we're reading right now, from this Jewish literature. Um,
and like again like we're all called to rule and it uses the vocab like i know it's like again this is hebrew literature it was written in hebrew wasn't written in english and this is being translated and so some of the words are like okay how are we translating this blah 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 like what does this actually mean you know the word there is rule the word there in hebrew is also the word that is used for kings what kings do it is ruling and reigning that is the same word that's being used here in hebrew and it's being translated as rule so i think that's a good translation but like again it's not a translational error like it's doing that on purpose human beings are called to rule and to reign over the over creation over earth and so like it's this moment of like who put us in charge <laughs> you know that's what Saul. that's what Saul made that we read that's what it's doing it's reflecting it's like you know you have the sun moon and the stars and they're ruling over the heavens and like that's rad they're like shiny they're like they like actually glow you know and like that's crazy um and and like who put us in charge of Earth? <laughs> you know? It's like, why Why are we here? Like, okay, cool. Like, we're called to rule. We're called to reign. And all things have been put under our feet. And, like, it's this amazing calling to take this world in places that it will not go naturally. Um, to, like, plant gardens and, like, build businesses and, like, make communities and, like, life, you know? And, like, bring out even more life out of this place. But, like, who put us in charge? <laughs> like, that's crazy. And so the the poet of Psalm chapter 8, he's reflecting on this. And I'll just read it again to close this out. And he's just like, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the, avenge to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the works of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and the sun, moon, and stars, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field, and all birds of the heavens, and all the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen! Amen, dude. Like, that's all I got. <laughs> like, amen, dude. Come on. Um, okay, I got one more thing to say before I wrap up, actually. <laughs> but, like, again, this is the human calling. To, we're called to rule. And this is just, like, again, stories, they shape the way in which we view the world. And so I – whatever it means for this to be true, I think it, there's different kinds of truth. There's, that's a conversation for another time that we'll get to. But – like, at the very least, I invite you to view the world in this way in light of these scriptures. That human life is inherently valuable. And that we are called to rule all, all of us, simply by fact of being human. We are called to participate in the human project. And so, like, what does that do for how you treat people? You know? Like, what, like, what, can, what can come out of this? Immense good. Um, but also, if we forget this, immense bad. Immense evil, if you will. And so... Uh, I'll read Psalm chapter one to close this, to round this out, to talk about, because we started talking about how this is meditation literature. Um, and I didn't just make that up. <laughs> like this, this is meditation literature and it says so itself. Um, and so Psalm one is reflecting also on Genesis one and also Genesis two, which we haven't read and we're not going to read here today, but it's reflecting on Genesis chapter two, um, as well as the whole rest of the book. And it's describing the ideal reader of, what we would call, I guess, the Bible, but really specifically the Old Testament and the laws of the Torah. 
um, and it's reflecting, and it's like, what is the ideal reader of this? And like, what are we reading it for? Like, why do we care, you know? And so let me just go ahead and read it, and then I'll talk about it afterwards. This is Psalm chapter 1, first line of the book. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the wicked. No, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so there's a lot going on there. It's kind of broken up into like three parts. There's a lot going on there. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to get to all of it today, but it's hyperlinking. Again, talking about hyperlinking, using those repeated words. Repeat. It's hyperlinking to several parts of the Bible, which is awesome. But um, the tree of life specifically, like... That's you may have remembered the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Again, we didn't read this, but Genesis chapter two in the Garden of Eden, there's two trees in the middle of it. There's the tree of knowledge of knowing what is good and what is wrong, and there's the tree of life. Um, and so, pro pro read Proverbs; it's awesome, uh, and reflect on this. But it's saying that the ideal reader is someone who meditates, right? It says, uh. Blessed is the person, I'll paraphrase it, but it says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Meditate doesn't mean, like, get some headspace and, like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean, like, download a, a headspace subscription and, like, get the app, you know, like, that's not what that means. That's what it means for us in, like, a Western context, you know, like, as Americans, at least for me in my American context, you know, like, that's what it means for us. It's like, let me just sit and like have some time by myself and quiet and like clear my mind. And like, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not what that means. It's actually quite the opposite. It's to fill your mind. Actually. Um, the word there is, is, um, the word that, uh, the word that's translated as meditate is the word haga in Hebrew. And it's the word, it, it basically means to like mutter quietly to yourself. And so a, a helpful analogy that I've that I've uh, figured out the other day with a friend is, um, is like it's like how you're humming a song or like you're whistling a song to yourself, you know, like you're just walking and you like have a song stuck in your head. It's kind of like that. It's like you're just singing it quietly to yourself, like over and over. You know, that's that's kind of the idea here. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Now that I'm saying it out loud, like I think that's kind of what they're getting at. It's like you you're meant to. So meditate on these things and think of, and like, and like kind of hum it to yourself, like like say these words to yourself like constantly over and over, and just like turn it over in your head, and like the more you start thinking about it, like you start connecting these dots, and and you see how these stories are hyperlinked, and you're like, oh wow, I didn't see that before, but now I'm seeing it, um, and apparently like what is the benefit of this? Here it says the person who who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. This person, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the old Testament specifically and been like, Oh yeah, trees of life. I get it. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever gotten that out of it. Most people, we read the old Testament and we're, we leave more confused and with more questions and just wanting to again, throw the baby out with the bathwater <laughs> more than anything. Um, 
that and like we don't we we don't feel like we're trees of life after reading the Old Testament. You know, that's not usually how that conversation goes. <laughs> but apparently, again, we're if we're if we're gonna read something, we ought to want to try and read it in the way that the author intended it. We want to we want to understand it in the way that the author wanted meant for it to be understood. And so that requires a lot of work. Um, it, it requires some work, and you have to kind of understand some things. But um. But like I, th- I definitely think it's worth it for starters, because again, it's telling you, a st- it's doing a story, but stories happen within a context. It's and so this is happening within an ancient Jewish Israelite context. Um, but again, it's 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 like it's the same way that that Disney can make movies about like fish finding about like a fish losing his son and the whole journey of him trying to find his son, and then he also finds a friend along the way, you know. And it's like, it's a story about fish. Like, you're watching fish on the screen. I'm talking about Finding Nemo. And, like, you're watching fish on the screen. But then, it, yeah, it's still about, like, human existence. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that, like, that's what, it, that's what it's doing, you know? Uh, it's like, again, that's what stories do. They reflect on what it means to be human and what it means to live well. And so, that like, Disney, they can do it. They can use these different, like, narrative image images. But the wisdom underneath it is... We can debate that another time, but in principle, the w- the wisdom underneath it is what they're really getting at, because you're looking at a fish, but you're learning about what it means to be human. You're le- you're looking at superheroes on a screen, but you're learning about what it means to be human, right? And so you're reading Old Testament laws and about like sacrifices and like weird stuff, and you're like, what the heck? But again, you c- don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You see, you're l- you're reading this, but you have to understand beneath it what they're trying to do is they're trying to paint this picture through this grand narrative story of what it means to be human and to live well in this world and how do we relate to each other and how do we relate to the god who made this place who we are called to reflect and that is why we are inherently valuable um and so apparently if you like if you do this exercise that we just did again like read these passages and like i don't know that i exactly had this in mind maybe but um like if you like proverbs and psalms i mean like i don't know if the author had exactly Proverbs and Psalms in mind, but at least the parts before it definitely had in mind. But if you do this exercise where you start trying to connect the dots and you see these hyperlinked words and ideas and these reflections on the sc- on what is written, um, you will become like a tree of life. And so again, it's the thing that we just did. Like, what does it mean to be human? It means to be rulers over creation. And then you go, okay, cool. But like, whose idea was that? Like, who put me in charge? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um but if you start reflecting on these stories, you'll be like, oh, God is generous and this world is abundant. And so if I'm a reflection of that, if I exist as a reflection of that being, then I can also be generous and abundant. And I can trust him that there's enough because like he made it that way. And like that enables me to share, you know? And so like it starts to shape the way in which you view the world. Um, and so this is ancient Jewish meditation literature is what the Bible is. And it's a big book and it's complicated and it's weird. But again, that's because it's a cross-cultural experience as well as a cross-temporal one, meaning that you're traveling back in time into a different culture. And so, like, it's going to be weird. Like, it's like eating sushi, you know? <laughs> like, if you like sushi, that's great. But, like, if you don't like sushi, you know, like, like it's weird. It's different. Like, raw fish, we don't do that where I'm from, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's different. And so, I hope this was a helpful exercise. These are literally some of my favorite chapters of the whole book, <laughs> of, like, the whole Bible. I mean, um, it's absolutely fantastic. Again, I will leave links down below in the show notes to very helpful resources. I highly recommend you check them out. But um, 
thank you if you're still here listening to this. <laughs> this is 40 minutes of that. Um, thank you for being here if you are. Um, tweet at me. Down, uh, I'll leave my Twitter down below. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, care to nerd out, um, this is my idea of a good time. So all that said, thank you very much. Hope you have a good day, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace.